Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm delighted today to welcome Paul Morrison, who comes from Sunderland. Welcome, Paul. Great to have you. Thanks for being here. I just wanted to open up this episode with a little bit of this song, which is meaningful to you. We'll speak about that. Yeah, that's a song, Karen, which kind of, when all this happened, I think for me personally, it really sums up the relationship what my mum and dad had. Anne Morrison and your dad, David Morrison. Yeah, yeah. A very together couple. Yeah, everything what they used to do, they used to do together, lived the life since they were met in their early teens. Teenage sweethearts then, how they uh, as much as I can remember, they got together not long after my dad started first job, living down Hendon in Sunderland. That's where I was born. Through the life, they've been very, very close. Not just travelling, everything what they do, they used to do together. When me passed, I found a note which my dad had written to me mom when she found out she had cancer and literally said, you know, you're my best friend and I'll do anything to support you and we will get through this together. Everything what's happened, it's ended together for them. It's very prophetic. It's very lovely. Do you know how they met, Paul? To be honest, Karen, <laughs> I can't remember. But I, I do know it's been a lot of years that they've been together. I think they went to school together at one point. For example, do you know what age they were when they got married? Or I think they were roughly they were in their early 20s when they got married. So they knew each other from when they were teenagers. Was there anybody else or was it really literally, you know, just they those two people, they wanted to be I, together? Literally just them. Yeah, as far as I can remember back. What were they like as people? Dad has a very dry sense of humour. I've always been told I've got his temper. If anybody crosses us, <laughs> I speak my mind. Funny and straight talking then? Yeah, my mum was very, very small and in stature as well. But she was pretty much straight to the point. But she knew how to take my dad. Could kind of weather the sarcasm, if that makes sense. You know, they'd always have a, a jib at each other. You know, but it was all in good jest. It wasn't meant in any kind of nasty ways. So they were always making fun of one another? Or... And that's something which I'll always remember, to be honest. Even the last time I saw my dad getting wheeled into the ambulance, he was making jokes that it was the first time he'd been outside in days. Can't make light of it. At that time, he didn't know he tested positive, but reading between the lines now, it was quite obvious, if, if that makes sense. And tell me, what were they like as parents growing up? I mean, you're an only child. Tell me what your childhood was like. Never wanted for anything, I'll be quite open and honest. Used to do a, I always remember holidays, there's always holidays every year. Towards the latter end, as I got older, went to places like America. My mum and dad made friends with people in Holland who were staying at the hotel which we were staying at. They regularly correspond and speak to, which I'm kind of still carrying on that torch and speaking to them as well, especially when this happened. We have friends in Australia 
Father and Eddie Hamilton, who they're very close with, who my dad used to go to school with Eddie and they've kept in contact. I've still got a picture of them both when they were literally very young, which my dad used to carry in his wallet. Again, I speak to Val and Eddie as often as I can, really, because I think it's nice to keep that contact going. So your parents, I mean, they were widely travelled and you did say to me that they lived life their way. What does that mean? They would never let anything stand in the way of Karen, if that makes sense. You know, if they wanted something, they would go and get it. If they wanted uh, any situation, they would deal with, if that makes sense, but they'd deal with it to the best of their ability. They wouldn't have a hurdle in the way, if that makes sense. I'd really say when my mum found out she had cancer, I didn't know her at the time, but I got called out to work. I knew something was wrong, but eventually I went over to see them straight away and found out kind of what was going on. They were close, they were together, they wouldn't let that hurdle stop them. And my mum decided she wanted the treatment. She'd been a clearer year before she died. So... They could achieve what they wanted to achieve, if that makes sense. Yeah, they didn't let a disappointment or a letdown or um, a curveball, they didn't let that change what, how they wanted to live. Exactly, yeah. Um, so she was a survivor from bowel cancer, is that right? That's right, yeah. She, had a, she ended up having a colostomy bag fitted. Right. Bowel or intestine kind of removed. She'd been clear about a year. She was in the RVI at Newcastle, managed to get on top of things. And then obviously the sudden death of my mum on the 7th of April, kind of worrying about my dad, I think, which has brought it on. Say so you're an ex-policeman. Uh, what did your dad and your mum do? What did they work at? Dad was a, a salesman all his life through travelling around like an area sales rep. Before he died, he ran his own kitchen and bedroom business. He, he was doing all right with until the builder kind of tossed the spanner in the works, obviously, and he had to close the business down. Again, things were done the right way. He lost the business and nearly lost the house. The fact of a year before this happened, or less than a year, they literally sold the house, downsized Karen into a council flat. And my dad done everything right and managed to pay everybody back, if that makes sense. So and done he, things. He, he had integrity then, he wanted to... Yeah, he done things the right way. Even though someone had acted badly towards him and yeah. put his you know, livelihood, the home, at risk, he made it good. He made it good. The age they were as well, using the revenue in the house, he managed to pay everybody back. What age uh, were your parents when that happened? Both in the 70s. Oh my word, was he stressed out about that? Yeah, I think it was a charge officially against the house, obviously which come into play when the house was sold. So the bank got paid back. But then everything else he dealt with, as you correctly said, with integrity in the right manner and kind of settled everything and kind of, that was it. He, he then retired, shall we say. So that was a stressful time. But I was going to say, my mum used to work as kind of on computers, data entry and things like that, kind of up until when I was born. Yeah. And then just kind of a housewife after that. And um, can you recall the last holiday they took before the world changed? Yeah, which would have, would have been Australia to see to, with the friends in Singapore, staying in Australia with them. How uh, was that? That was their last holiday, spending time with the friends over in Australia, over the Christmas break. I think twice had been over the Christmas break and the Christmas holiday, spending time there and then stopping for a few days in Singapore on the way home. Yeah, what was the highlight of that holiday for them, do you think? For them being over there, because I think if my dad could have done it and this hadn't happened, I could have quite easily seen them going over there and kind of retiring over there. Retiring to Australia. Yeah. Did they say that, or was it just you got an in, you got a hunch that they wanted? No, it he he, he often said they've been looking at kind of just packing up, lock, stock and barrel and going over. Whereabouts yeah. in Australia did they want to... Move to. Uh, my mum and dad's friends are in Adelaide and I think it would have been somewhere close to them to be honest. And did they just like the outdoor life, the good weather? I think the weather to be honest and kind of just the difference from the UK. Yeah. So when do you think they might have done that? I would have probably said if, if the world hadn't changed that wouldn't have been long to be honest. You know, and I, I wouldn't have stood in the way. I'd have wished, you know, I'd have wanted them to go. 
and yeah. have a de- and have a decent and a good quality of life. An only child, but very close to your parents. You spoke to them every single day. Yeah, every lunchtime, and it's so hard getting to lunchtime and not realising that nobody's there to speak to. It's really, really difficult. I can only imagine, you know, the massive gap hole that's there. They had that holiday of a lifetime, if you like, Christmas 2020. They came back, obviously they were in good form. You know, your mum had been given the all clear, you know, earlier. Talk us through the time before your dad, he fell ill first. So tell me about the time just before that happened. You know, what was going on in their life? Lockdown, they were literally just prior to kind of that first lockdown hitting. They weren't going out the house. Although, sorry, I tell you, the only time they went out the house, Karen, was within that golden hour to do the shopping when the OAPs were the only people who were allowed yeah. in. Yeah. Didn't want me to help them, didn't want me to kind of do anything for them. Dad's Main Street, shall we say. And that's the only time they went out the house. Was it your dad or was it, did they go out together? Went out together. Only time, didn't go anywhere else, straight back in the flat. There was a communal seat outside. That's the only place that they used to go to, was the seat to get fresh air and back in the flat. Never used to travel anywhere. Yeah. My dad fell ill. And then, When you say he fell ill, what happened? Uh, I think he was, running, he was running a temperature and had a bit of a headache, which he couldn't shift. My mum had rang, eventually rang an ambulance and an ambulance had come on the 7th of April. He was took to hospital. I'm pleased I did, but I'm, I wasn't going to, but I made that decision to kind of rush there to make sure I could see him. And were you allowed into the hospital, Paul? No, this is when he was still in the flat, when the ambulance was en route to the flat. Oh, to come and get him. you rushed to the home. Okay. I'd literally rushed to the home. To, well, by the time I got there, the ambulance was there. So I'd waited outside. We kind of touched on this, me dad and his sense of humour, making cracking jokes about the weather and getting fresh air. It's the first time he'd had fresh air in days, etc. When he went in the ambulance, that's the last time I saw him. Next couple of days, uh, ring my mum and my dad, make sure everything was all right, go over to see my mum outside, make sure she was okay, if she wanted anything, dealt with it. How was your mother in those few days? Distant, but there, if that makes sense. You could tell she was worrying, but she wouldn't kind of come out and say she was worrying. Make sure everything was all right over those few days prior to kind of the start of this, which was with my mum on the 7th of April. I spoke to them both on the morning of the 7th of April. I spoke to my dad. I was allocated to work from home. Uh, being one of the management team where I work. So I started work, spoke to my dad. My dad was happy. He was all right as he could be. We'll speak soon. It was very hard to put the words to Karen, but I knew something was wrong. I don't know what at the time. I just had this horrible feeling. Literally just stopped everything, put everything down, just tried to gather me thoughts. Then my dad rang and he's like, Paul, something's wrong. Your mom hasn't rang us. She was meant to ring us at this time and it's now like 20 minutes past that time and I kind of get her on the phone, something's wrong. Obviously, my dad's stuck in there with obviously the situation. I'm like, right, I'm jumping in the car, constantly ringing from the car as I'm driving over there, thinking, oh, she left her phone in the flat and gone outside for 10 minutes for a share. Nothing. Got to the flat, got into the flat because it was a high-rise block flat. Karen's was like a communal doorway downstairs. Got in, got to the flat door, shouting, calling. My wife was with us, calling on the phone. Pardon me, French, kicking nine bells of you know, out the front door. Nothing. Tried to break the front door down. Couldn't break the front door down because of the cross brace in the door. It was a fire door with it being a block of flat, so a thick, heavy door. Could not get through that door for love and the money. And as you've touched on there, being ex-police, I have kicked many a door in my lifetime. Could not 
budge that door for love no money. I was at the stage of just about hurting myself to get through that door. No, my mum was on the other side of that door. Just could not budge that door. Had to give in and call the police. The police turned up with the enforcer to open the door. I probably shouldn't have done this, but I forced me where in past the first, well, as the first policeman entered, I forced me where in between the other two policemen only to be kind of held by the collars by the first policeman as he got to the corner and he pushed us backwards straight away. And you, and you, and he went, your mum's on the floor. I cannot let you around. And he kind of got us out the flat. Ambulance turned up to confirm death. Then... My word, what a shock, Paul. Yeah, uh, it got worse for me, Karen. I then had the hardest, hardest phone call of my life. Had to speak to me dad and tell him that his wife had died. Uh, that is a phone call that will live with me for the rest of my life. I cannot put it into words and how to speak to somebody to say that. In his heart of hearts, I think he knew before, to be honest. But having to tell him just broke us. It's something I'll never, ever forget. I made sure somebody was with him, a nurse who I do speak to over Facebook. I found out who the nurse was. That was very prescient of you, that you that you thought about that, that he could have someone with him. You know, I, I wouldn't have told him. I made sure I rang ward nurse and said, look, this has happened. I need somebody to be with him before I ring him to break this news. I cannot have him sitting there on his own. Told him. And then unbeknown to me, one of the nurses had literally sat with me dad for hours, literally talking, oh. talking about me. Talked about my mom, talked about me. I've corresponded with this nurse on Facebook a few times, and she's worth her weight in gold for doing that. That's uh, so important, isn't it? That means so much. It does, because I know he wasn't on his own. It's not the greatest of solace, but I know I know he wasn't that sitting is, is in the, kind of in an empty room, if you know where I'm coming from. I made sure he was as well as he could be. For all I couldn't get in because of the restrictions, etc. But he wouldn't let us in anyway. If I'd gone there, I probably wouldn't have been able to get in. I spoke to him early hours of the following morning, and the doctor had had him lying on his chest, and he was in agony. But they hadn't given me his pillows back, so I had to ring the hospital to say, look, can you make sure he's comfortable? He hasn't got his pillows. He needs to be kind of sitting back upright. He was breathing heavy and breathing kind of harshly as if he couldn't catch his breath. Then the strangest thing happened, Karen, me and my wife had gone out for a walk just to try to clean my head. And not far from where we live, there's kind of a few picnic tables on the field and Marie said, Paul, let's just sit down. Don't care if we talk or just sit for a few minutes. Uh, we had the dog with us and the dog done the strangest thing, Karen, which was literally jump up on the table and literally bark at me non-stop about two centimetres from your face. Really? And something something which has never, ever done in the years we've had her. I didn't realise at the time. What were you thinking at that point? I didn't know. But what it was, I didn't know this till I got home, But which I'll come to in a second. My phone was on silent in my pocket. And when I got home, I had missed calls from a withheld number. And I knew it was a hospital. What and were you thinking at that point? At that point, I was hoping beyond all hope it was a phone call that the sailor wanted to knock him out and put him on a ventilator. That's what I was hoping. The second the nurse picked up the phone and she started to stumble her words, I knew exactly what it was because she went, I, 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 yeah, yeah, I need to get a doctor to speak. Yeah, I'm like, the doctor will call you back. I'm like, no, the doctor won't call me back. You have me on the phone. You tell me what I think you're going to tell me now. And then the doctor would come on the phone and explained that me dad had me dad had passed, and they didn't know the reasons why till obviously a bit later on. But it was COVID pneumonia, and he died of a heart attack brought on by COVID. Oh my word! Uh, so I was losing me mum on the seventh, and losing me dad about ten hours later on the eighth of April, which was well destroying, shall we say? 
I suffered badly trying to, at the time, I freely admit this, I wasn't suffering that badly, but I was drinking heavily and I was drinking a lot more than I should have been drinking, shall we say. Well, you were looking uh, for a mistake, weren't you? Yeah, that stopped. That stopped even more recently now. I've cut right back on drink and I need to kind of start looking after myself because I fell ill not long after that happened and I ended up being attached to med- medical equipment for nearly a year, which should have been a matter of weeks, before I had an operation to get myself back to where I am now. Right, my word. You mentioned sudden death for your mother. Yeah. Can you explain about that? She, she died of a heart attack, which I, I can only presume never had any heart problems in all her life, Karen. Really? I can only presume was her winding, that, winding herself up and worrying about my dad. Yeah, you think she was extremely worried and heartbroken. Yeah. That yeah. he'd been diagnosed positive for COVID. Yeah. The only kind of thing I can read into it was when it was quick. When she died, she was on the floor, but she still had the cleaning material she was cleaning with in her hand. Yeah. So she hadn't kind of... I've seen some nasty things in my lifetime. I'm pleased that she hadn't suffered and kind of had to crawl somewhere, if that makes sense, to try to get help. And then died. Yeah. I know it's been quick because she still had the things in the hands, if that makes sense. Because yeah. I would have hated the things she'd been there and she'd suffered. The theme of this new season of Stolen Goodbyes is very much based on COVID bereaved feeling that their loss is completely surreal. I mean, you must feel that enormously because the, the speed at which uh, you lost your parents and the fact that it happened together and none of the normal death ri- rituals that go with the death, you weren't able to have. As you said, your dad went into an ambulance, didn't really have a goodbye, and they're just gone. What are those feelings? How do you... Can you put that into words? It's a massive void, Karen. That's only way I can describe it. There's days where I do feel like I'm spiralling. I have done some work on myself in relation to that through various coaching things to kind of try to keep my head up, if that makes sense. Keep your head above water, if you like. Yeah, and realising, yes, it's... <sighs> yes, it's hard, but it's three years and I'm still here, if that makes sense. Yes. Does it seem like three years? It feels like yes. <laughs> Not flashbacks, but... I can still see vividly, you know. Do you relive certain moments of what happened? Yeah, I do beat myself up about not getting through that front door, which absolutely kills us. And do, you, not... do you feel that if you had got there sooner, got there before she passed? or? Yeah, yeah. But saying that, well, it's happened that quick. Even if I got there, could I have saved her? I don't know. But it's not for the fact how close I was, but I couldn't get through that door. I mean, you're probably talking from where she was to the door, six, seven metres maximum. And then obviously it's not just, as everybody else you spoke on, she has suffered, it's not just the death, it's the fallout from the death and having to try to deal with everything in the period when nobody knows what to do. So tell me about that. So you obviously got the devastating news the next day that your dad had passed. What happened then in the days and the weeks after that? I had the issue straight away, which did kind of come around eventually, was the council. You need to clear your lap flat kind of now. I can't because I can't have help. I'm relying on me and my wife to empty a flat. I don't need things. I've got my own house. I've got a, a detached house. I don't need... So I could empty the house and bring everything here. No compassion. There was very little. In the, in, and I'm going to include in this certain banks as well, who were meant to have bereavement teams, who one of them literally hung up, hung up on me when I told her to check her attitude. When, you know, you're meant to be a bereavement team and listen to us, not talk over the top of us. I suggest you kind of... You know, adjust your attitude accordingly and, and then they hang the phone up on you. Yeah. You know, this is the types of things I was up against. 
I was up against a certain bank, which begins with a B, which I'm sure you're aware of. The logo is blue, shall we say, and has a bird in it. They really are a very, I'm going to say this very bluntly, and please don't be offended, a set of crooks. They tried to take a substantial amount of money from my dad's account when my dad died. And it's only because of the fact of I argued, and I know I work in within the money industry and debt industry now, that that debt dies with the person. This said bank, they opted, shall we say, to threaten to take a high number of thousands of pounds out of my dad's account prior to giving me what was left. And that concerns me as to how many other people in my situation have rolled over and played dead, shall we say, and just let them do whatever they wanted to do. It's only because of the fact of I threatened them with the papers and going back to the papers that were back to me within a few hours saying, right, that money, that money, that full amount of money will be in your bank account within 24 hours. But I shouldn't have had to do that. That's you know, on top of this sort of double catastrophic loss, then being confronted with a hostile council telling you to move things out and then money disappearing from your dad's account. How awful. Terrible. You know, you're being open and honest with these people, as I'm sure everybody has who you spoke to previously. And this is not what you're expecting. This is not how you expect to be treated. Eventually, the council, I said to the council, you'll get the keys back. When you get the keys back, it's as simple as that. You know, I need the tight empty list. You're looking at one person with an estate car. Yeah. Whatever is left in this flat, you can do with what you want with it. But I'll tell you now, this flat won't be empty by the time I've finished. Mm-hmm. But bearing in mind, they've moved there, Karen, less than a year ago. They've decorated it. they carpeted the whole thing brand new. Yeah. Things like dining room tables, three-piece living yeah. room furniture i brought things for me like and i still got them there with me living room two leather chairs that i had and i wanted to keep them i, I did at the time bring me dad's massive telly because he loved his telly and i had that till the broke living room cabinets i brought things i wanted to keep but i left things like beds wardrobes in there my dad had literally bought brand new i had no need for them yeah. you, you know mom's friends daughters worked in kind of the residential housing and supported housing i've literally said to them, look come to the flat just take whatever you want if somebody can use it brilliant i'd rather have that peace of mind knowing it's gone somewhere right than it just the council taking it and ripping it up shall we say or, or dismantling it they took kitchen things they took living room things they took nice fox glasses i think and I was quite happy just to get rid of the rest. Moving forward from there, I've been lucky enough not to catch it, shall we say. But it's been difficult. And I'm sure it's been difficult for everybody in this situation, you know. But I'm still jittery around big groups. I don't like being in any big groups anywhere. Why is that? Because uh, I don't want to catch it, if that, sounds, if that makes sense, knowing what I've gone through. It's not a panic attack, but I feel very, very nervous being in a big group of people and just being able to kind of, I don't like it. I don't want to be away from it. don't like being in kind of mega enclosed spaces at the minute with people i just kind of keep myself to myself if that makes sense work let me work from home which was good over the pandemic and i came back into the office when i was ready to come back into the office you know directors were great and he said paul you're not ready to come back because i still had a few things to sort out he went look you went i'll put you on furlough for the next three weeks and i'll pay you in full and then look we're coming back when you feel like you're ready to come back, shall we say. I was kind of one of the first three back in the office and then everybody else was still kind of working from home. But we're still spaced out in the office. There's, you know, I'm like, I sit on a bank of desks on my own, which I can handle, and everybody else is on a desk on their own spread out around the office. So we're still kind of within the rules and it hasn't gone back to how things were. Tell me about the funeral. How on earth did you manage to organise that, given your loss? With my dad's hindsight, he had insurance policies there, which that's probably one of the only people where everything went quite smoothly. But I spoke to the coroner in, initially because not knowing what to do or how to deal with anything, relying on them for advice and 
to walk me through the steps, etc. Made contact with the funeral director, explained the situation I was in, who came out of the house, who was fantastic. Again, was open and honest with this guy. This is a situation I'm in. I haven't got money to be paying your deposits, as he was asking for. However, I want you to have a look, a look at this insurance documentation. That's what I've got to deal with. And he yeah. was quite prepared to kind of hang on, if that makes sense. You know, and like, we'll fill you up to Paul. Don't worry about it. You know, yeah. this is what we'll do. I don't know. And I a joint funeral for my mum and my dad. I couldn't have any cars, Karen. I had to drive myself to the funeral. There was literally six people how, at the funeral. How did you do that? Drive yourself? I mean, that must have been just awful. Horrendous. I don't know how I did. To be honest, I think it was autopilot. You know, worse was pulling up to the flat, seeing both hearses outside when my mum and dad's coffins in. That was a vivid picture etched in my mind, shall we say. You think about that image a lot? I do, yeah. it's. I knew through natural life it would happen, but I didn't think what happened the way it has happened to them, if that makes sense. Yes. I had to drive myself to the funeral. When we got there, there was kind of rose taped off. They weren't carrying the coffins in. They had to wheel the coffins in. Couldn't get flowers for the coffins. I could only get white flowers, which were a nightmare. Luckily, he knew somebody who could get white flowers at the time because there was no flowers being driven into the UK. I don't know how he'd done it, but he had a contact. and I could only get white coffin tops for both of them. When you went into the crematorium, tape was everywhere. There was rose taped off. He was splitting everybody up. Everybody had to sit apart from each other, other than me and my wife. So it was like a danger zone then, really? Yeah, literally, yeah. So I sat at the front, you know, the row behind me was taped off fully at the at both ends and taped kind of across the whole bench. Didn't really look behind us, to be honest. At the time, I had other things I was kind of focused on. He'd done the funeral. The funeral director spoke. I'd wrote something out over a couple of days. Played three songs, one which you've already played, which was when I went in. My dad liked Gene Pitney, so I played Gene Pitney with some sort of holding heart. And then walking out, we chose just to play Robbie Williams and Angels. Tell me what it's been like. Three years, I think, seems like. I think to anyone who hasn't been affected or touched by COVID, three years must seem like a, a long time, except... The people that have spoken on this show will say that it the loss just seems like yesterday that they haven't moved forward. They're still stuck in that yeah. moment. Is that is that true I, for you? I will totally agree with everything you just said there. It's hard to it's hard to describe. It's a feeling of kind of treading water when the, the wheels come off. If, I, if you know what I mean. Because I used to speak to my mum and dad 12 o'clock every day when I was on my lunch. No one needs to kind of do that. I go out to lunch, I've had my lunch, and I'm standing there and I'm thinking, I should be speaking to my dad. I should be speaking to my mum, and I'm not. And it's it's really re- quite a repetitive feeling, if that makes sense. You want to move forward, but you cannot move forward at the same time. Yes, that does make sense. It, it's, I wouldn't say it's a rail constantly playing in my head, but through my previous work, I can... I don't mean this to sound cold, and I don't mean it to sound cold, but any stretch of imagination. I'm at the point where I can kind of put it in with a little bit of a box, if that makes sense. It doesn't take much for us to think, or oh, that song you played at the start, just to come on the radio when I'm driving, and that's it, I'm gone, you know? Yeah. Like and it just hits you all over again, like just like a massive, massive wave. Yeah. And you said that you, perhaps your line of work, or you felt that you really didn't, you weren't equipped with the, you didn't have a way, you didn't feel equipped to combat the enormity of the loss. Yeah, it's through my previous job, as you've openly said, which I don't mind you saying, 
I've dealt with many deaths. I've dealt with informed messages. I've dealt with their bodies. Trying to use those tools to deal with it yourself in, in your own life just wasn't working, Karen, if that makes sense. Yeah. It was a very hard thing to try to make sense of. I would have thought using those same tools would have worked, but it wasn't, if that makes sense. And as I said, I'm at the point where I can kind of put it not to one side. That's wrong. And I don't mean it to sound that cold, but it's kind of half in a box, if that makes sense. Yeah. It doesn't take much for it to come flooding back. You know, just trying to do the best I can when I can, to be honest. And, and that's really, really hard. Yes. But it is really amazing that you are here three years later and that you are here talking about this loss. I mean, that is real strength and resilience. Thanks, Karen. But I've always said when this happened, if one person listens to what I've got to say and it affects one person, I'm happy. Sure. You know, if, one, if, one, if one person listens, I'll, I'll be over the moon. You know. How have you coped? What has helped you get through this nightmare, really? I did latch on to somebody who I followed on Facebook, who was kind of a life coach, who saw me post. He rang us. Basically, I made he made contact with me. We had a conversation. He put us on a couple of, of his paid courses for free, Karen, which, which really helped in them early days. And I've given the feedback on this, and I openly said, hey, that first call, for me, it was a lifeline, and it gave me the structure and the focus to kind of put things in order and deal with them. And probably without that, I probably would have just been treading water. After that, it put me on a 28-day course with other people, which kind of didn't set a fire, but showed me that there was light at the end of the tunnel, if that makes sense. What was the most useful piece of advice that that coach gave you? The structure. And, and I do apply that now in everything I'm doing. What does that mean? Break, breaking things down and dealing with them. This is an analogy which I have through my work. I've had given to me by somebody was don't think about it like a whole jigsaw, just think about it as one piece. And then eventually those pieces will fall into place. Mm-hmm. You know, so don't don't let your head kind of be overrun with everything. Look at it and look at what you need to deal with first, deal with that, and then move on to something else. You know, eventually those pieces will fall into place. So step know? by step, day by day. And that's what I'm doing. And I said that the other day, I'm trying to take each day as it comes and be the best that I can in each day. Is there anything that you look back on fondly now? A happy moment, a happy conversation, a happy memory? I would say a lot of Saturdays, Karen, when me and my wife used to always go over my mum's for tea every Saturday, my mum and dad's every Saturday. Again, another void to fill, if that makes sense, because I kind of do it. Uh, And that's gone on for a lot of years. Simple things over the last three years. I used to go to my mum and dad's for Christmas Day dinner. Kind of do that. It's the simple things when you haven't got them to talk to. When you haven't got it, that's when my head kind of kicks in. And that's when you start thinking again. You know, like not going to meet dad's for Christmas Day. Not going to meet mum and dad's on a Saturday. It's filling that void and trying to find something, if that makes sense. What do you do on a Saturday now then, instead? Just me and my wife, to be honest. You know? <laughs> but we always now try to do things on the weekend, which we never really used to do before. Because we're both work, we're both out of the house pretty much 9 or 5. Marie sometimes comes in later, depending on our shifts. So we now kind of make a focus on the weekend of actually doing things. That's so, good. That's positive. Even just the simple things, like we always say, even just go out and have a, one drink in the chat. That will do me, you know. Just to build that momentum, shall we say. And that's what I'm trying to do. What keeps you awake at night? <sighs> I'm sleeping a lot better than I was, put it that way. <laughs> That's good. Uh, I'm more focused now on kind of looking after me, if that makes sense. I've cut the drink right out. I'm 50. I've joined the gym, believe it or not. <laughs> well done. The thing is, uh, you're actually going, though. I know you've joined, but are you going? <laughs> oh, we've been going two and three times a week and, and on the weekends. So. Great. Well done. Do you feel better? 
I feel a lot better. And again, from a mental perspective, I think it's helping me a lot because it's clearing my head. Fantastic. Which is something I kind of want to... Plus, Leo, I've been attached to that medical equipment where I've done nothing, literally, but kind of sleep, go to work and eat. I need to get the weight off, if that makes sense. Because I've done nothing for a year. I've sat on my arse for a year. And that's really kind of killed us and killed me momentum as well. Are you able so to just... say what happened, Paul? Or would you rather not? Yeah, don't mind saying it. I have problems with my prostate, which got worse and worse to the fact that I got rushed into hospital because I couldn't pass water. They stuck a catheter bag in and I passed about three litres. Cut a long story short, I was told that should have been in for a couple of weeks and it wasn't. It was in stuck in for nearly a year. So my life, my life quality was pretty much gone, if that makes sense. You know, I had to sleep in the spare room because of this thing attached to my leg 24-7. Couldn't have baths, had to have showers, had to constantly be changing it. Two operations cancelled for various reasons. And then obviously went into the operation, touch wood. Operation seems to work and I'm back to how I should be. Nothing attached to me anymore. That's good. Uh, again, didn't help with everything what I'd gone through and then suffering that. And literally just not being able to do anything, Karen. And just health wasn't great. Was doing nothing but sleeping, and as you said, the drink was too much of an easy escape, and that wasn't me, you know. Yeah, I do like whiskey and all three, I admit that, but it was getting to the point. And Marie said this to me as well, my wife, you know, Paul, there's two, three, four bottles of whiskey a month you've had, you know, as well as kind of bottles of wine through the week, which we were doing. And I was like, I need to knock this on the head, this needs to stop, and made that conscious decision to kind of get my health back to where it should be, hence joining the gym, hence eating a lot health. Yeah, and trying to make a life again, if that makes sense. Well done, you. Thank not, you. That's not easy. It hasn't been easy, but I've had to jump and take that leap of faith with both feet and say it will change. And I need to kind of stand up for myself. What is it you feel that people, the public, don't understand about this type of loss? In relation to COVID, they probably said this, they probably heard this, oh, it's just a cold, and that just sort of gets my back up, pardon me, French. Yeah. People don't realise, I think, to. <laughs> Again, it's another analogy, you know, to you've walked a mile in my shoes and everything I've gone through, what we spoke about, then you can make a comment on it. And what do you think they don't understand about the grief that you're suffering and that they need to understand? Because it hasn't happened to them. It's as simple as that, you know. I'm quite lucky in the respect of at work, I've got a very supportive management team in place. People at my level have also suffered losses, not through COVID, so they understand what I've gone through. But to the people who haven't, you know, it's what's his issue? Why is he like that? What's going on? Yeah, there's no need to be like that. But until yeah. you've experienced it, you cannot, you know, it's, it's something you cannot really have a, a valid comment on, shall we say? Yeah. And a lot of people won't suffer from it till it comes to that point of kind of parents are at that natural age, shall we say? As one of my work colleagues, where his mum died a little while ago because she was at that age and she was in an old people's home. That's when people expect it to happen. Not through something like this. Yeah, of course. When would have their 50th uh, wedding anniversary have been? It would have been the year they died. I think it was August, the year they died. Yeah. It would did have been 50 have, years. Did they have plans for that? or Not up to the point this happened, but I think they would have ended up probably abroad again somewhere. Sure. You know. Have you been able to celebrate their lives in any way? Other than letting balloons off at the crematorium, not really, to be honest. I did have plans this year to do it again, but obviously there's no helium, so I kind of let balloons off. So I kind of stopped that one. <laughs> well, the yeah. national show. You know, there's no nothing in the UK. So I haven't really, as such, done anything, you know? But you can. 
I think I would, but I just need to kind of think of something. I'd even thought about maybe when Nahelium is there, getting everybody again who wanted to come to the funeral and just letting a load of balloons off somewhere so everybody can meet everybody and, you know, have a chat, you know. Cause is definitely not there, and I don't think he'll be there for a long time, to be honest, for me. Just kind of make the best of the situation, what's happened. Sure. How would you describe their legacy, your mum and dad? I think this is me trying to make my life now. And trying to make it the best I can for them. Wonderful, Paul. That's uh, really great. And making me the best. I'm not going to get the old version of me back, but I'm doing my best to find a new version, if that makes sense. It does. And I will keep going. And I will get there. Eventually, I don't know when, but I will get there. And that's a promise I will make. Wonderful. Oh, that's so lovely. Really, it is. And you're tremendously strong, my word. One other thing I wanted to ask you about. You did something interesting with your parents' bedding, didn't you? Yes, yes. At the time when all this happened, the hospital wanted to make bags for the nurses so they could securely kind of take their PPE home, etc. And obviously wash it so it wasn't contaminating anything else. So I donated all the bedding to a friend who made these bags for the nurses and I made sure the majority of them went to the ward where my dad was. I also made sure some went to the RVI at Newcastle where my mum was as well. So their bedding kind of didn't go to waste it was recycled into these purpose. We made bags for the nurse for the nurses so they could take all the uniforms home. Wonderful. That's a really great thing to do. It just made common sense. It was sense to do. I knew it's helped somebody else as well, so why not? Is there anything else you'd like to add? I will say I hope that people listen to this, and I'm sure they listen to other people's episodes on your podcast, Karen. I would say keep your head up, keep going. It will never go away, but it will get better. But I think time is a big player in that. Never be frightened, and I haven't, to speak to people. And I think that's a big player in this, is speaking to people and not trying to deal with things on your own. Brilliant. Well said, Paul. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. I know it wasn't easy and I wish you the very best for the future. Thank you, Karen. I appreciate your time. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for listening. Please do subscribe and review the podcast if you get a minute. And if you'd like to make a donation, you can do so via the show notes. The price of a coffee would be fantastic. And also please do follow Stolen Goodbyes on Twitter at RiceKMC and under Stolen Goodbyes on Facebook and Instagram. If you'd like to participate, you can email at stolengoodbyes at gmail.com or visit my website, www.karen-rice.com. Good luck.